This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Melissa Lowe had an unprecedented upbringing as her dad was second-generation skydiver. A pioneer as well, he was just inducted into the 2021 Skydiving Hall of Fame. And he was an international drug smuggler in the 80s and went to prison when Melissa was just 12 years old. She wrote about it in her books called Sugar Alpha and Charlie Bravo. In hindsight, Melissa realized that she could have been a victim of her circumstances, a traumatic yet exhilarating childhood. Her father passed away in a tragic skydiving accident in 2003. However, Melissa has overcome a lot to having become a well-respected female skydiver in a male-dominated sport. She is a professional skydiver that has just completed her 24th world record in 2021, and she has two more world records scheduled for this upcoming year. Melissa has 11,300 skydives. She is an instructor, a part of the Highlight Pro skydiving team, an organizer of the Project 19 Women's Vertical World Record, and recently re-elected as a United States Parachute Association, USPA, National Director. In addition, Melissa is a keynote speaker, having spoken on the TEDx stage, an author, personal trainer as of 2020, and yoga instructor since 2007. Valeria Tellez interviews Melissa Lowe about diversity, inclusion, letting go, being in the moment, and rising above the odds. Meet Melissa at melissa-low.com. Here's the interview with Melissa Lowe. In your own words, who is Melissa Lowe? Melissa Lowe is an entrepreneur, a loyal person, completely driven, and someone who perseveres through hardships. That's beautiful. And it is not easy to do, <laughs> to overcome challenges. Entrepreneurship, too. I love working for myself. <laughs> I have been doing yes. this for a long time. And I wonder why. I have been kind of trying to answer my own questions. But I'll ask you, what is it about entrepreneurship working for ourselves that is so exciting and attractive like to you why do you do what you do you know i cannot speak for all entrepreneurs but i would imagine we all have a thread of similarity but for myself i have visions of what can be and sometimes i just like to go explore that and i haven't had too much time working for other people but i've 
in those times I felt really boxed in and closed off and didn't really get to explore the outlets that I have for all these ideas that just bubble up. And it's, it, yeah, it's exciting to go and create. Like some people do it with a paintbrush. Some people do it with dance and ballet and singing. And those are not my talents at all. My creativity comes through my work. And I am incredibly driven by seeing things from the idea and having it come to fruition. That is my art. That is my creativity. I wonder why why some of us don't get to experience life in such a way. I don't know. I have opinions, ideas, definitely hypotheses, but I don't know how much of it is true. But I come from a family of entrepreneurs, so that was definitely a foundation for me growing up. But my grandfather had the same job since I was a child until he retired. And I know a lot of my family, my friends' families have had these jobs for 20 plus years. And I think we're just all built differently and we all have different upbringings that maybe we seek security. Maybe some of us need that and that gets that fulfillment. And maybe there's people like us that I I cannot do that. I feel very confined doing the same thing day in and day out. I love the freedom that no two days are the same, that I can definitely hone in on my introverted part and my extroverted part and finding that balance. But, you know, perhaps it has to do with also societal pressures of what's expected of us and people fall into, you know, well, I have to do this to be able to be successful in life because X, Y, Z. And my family wasn't really like that. They gave me the freedom to make the choices. In fact, I was a black sheep of my family because I did go to college. I was the one of, one of the few that did. And my grandmother was so worried about me because I took off full-time skydiving to go to college. And and she asked me if I was okay. I said, yeah, Grandma, I'm, I'm going to college and I'm on honors. And she was like, yeah, I know. I'm worried about you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can imagine. <laughs> that is cute. So some of us are just um, living from that space that's true to us, right? We all, that has to do with needs. So, so true. How do you define success these days? Ooh, man, I feel like this is a question that I've been asking myself for decades of, of what is success, because I think I would have had a completely definition 20 years ago, 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago. But a thread of it has been the same. And for me, success is happiness. And that looks different at every age of your life and evolution of growing and your needs and you know, I, I've had a family later in life, so the happiness and balance, and that all looks different because I think the work, the job, you know, for myself, world records, the status, all that stuff just, just ebb and flow, right? Those are just moments in time. It's not really a definition of what makes me happy and tick inside. So I would say success is finding what makes you happy and being true and honoring that because I think Man, it's even a challenge knowing and having this life of being an entrepreneur and being able to create my day. I feel that I get caught up sometimes, right? We get caught up in social media. We get caught up in what our neighbors are doing. We get caught up with the colleagues. And 
and and just being able to you know shed that let it go and really truly find what makes you you and what makes you happy what is the best way from your perspective to keep the flow the sense of aliveness how do you do that mm. I feel really fortunate because as a professional skydiver and honing in my skill, we are truly in the moment. People that have never skydived before, they they can't even imagine letting go of the airplane, more or less finding oh flow Me, at yeah. 100, <laughs> 200 miles an hour Gosh. falling to the earth, right? Like, what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's wow. the antithesis of what our instincts tell us what is right and wrong, right? And and being able to challenge our instincts, right? Because we do get in fight, flight, or freeze mode when we go skydiving. But the more you do something over and over again, you know, it's just that 10,000 hour rule, right? You do something long enough where you can do it autonomously without even having to think about it. And and for me, it's skydiving. For me, it's also hustling in my job and my business to be able to do these amazing projects and to be creative. Uh, so it's, it, I'm very yin and yang, right? Like I love skydiving and I love yoga. So it's a, I, I have to find the balance of both to give that time on the ground so I can have the time in the sky to enjoy those moments. Because when I was younger, it was all about skydiving and I was incredibly enmeshed. And then I got burnt out and and frustrated and all these things. But over time I realized I was like, oh, well, I need to take, I need to take a break. And finding that space to take the time to appreciate these moments that I find when I'm skydiving, I feel like I'm at home. It's this familiarity, it's the fresh air in my face. It's being with other like-minded people who don't think we're crazy, that this is just what we do. I the flow for me is not having to think, not, not that you have to consciously shut it down. It reminds me more of meditation than when I'm airplane and feeling the vibration of the airplane and just the, the ambient air just, <laughs> just like hugs me. It makes me feel, it makes me feel safe and, you know, meditating on the ground and meditating flying up in the air are two different things, but they're so familiar because it's that space where we try to let go of the thoughts and we try to just be present. And that's, to me, that I try to take when I let go and go to the other side of the door, letting go into free fall and keeping that space in my mind where I can be aware at high speeds, I can be safe, I'm honing in my skills, dialing in what I need to do, and then being safe to break away, pull my parachute. And then when I'm under my parachute, I feel so lucky because I mm. look out below me, my office is three dimensional. <laughs> and I think to myself, <laughs> yeah. this is my office under my parachute, here I am suspended under less than 100 square feet of fabric. And I just think it's like this magical, wonderful place that I just, I'm like, oh, I'm just so fortunate. So I, I try to bring those little moments when I'm on the ground in meditation in the in-between moments, right? Because it's not just doing the work and the hustle. It's not just skydiving. We have our day-to-day -day lives that we have to get from point A to point B and so on and so forth. But finding that flow when I'm doing the laundry, <laughs> 
when I'm doing the dishes and cleaning my house, like I'm like, oh my gosh, I was just doing world records and now I'm cleaning my garage. (laughs) (laughs) That is so, so true. So finding the flow has to do with staying in the moment, as you have been saying. And it seems like we all know intellectually, but getting to do that, it's just a different story. And I'm trying to imagine here because I have never done that. And I'm the last person that I, I think on earth that would jump out of a plane. <laughs> <laughs> For you has been natural movement in life, right, Melissa? Because your father, he was a skydiver. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first experience you had and how you felt? Yes, this is it's a very interesting way of getting into the sport. So my grandfather actually started us all off. He was a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne. And he came out of the war and he started sport parachute jumping. And then my dad and my uncle got into it. And then along came me. And when I when I came along, my dad took me up for my first skydive when I was just five years old. And, and this is like the early 1980s. And I made about 11 jumps by the time I turned 11. And I did my first solo at 16. And I kind of have vague thoughts because in my in my 20s or so, there were a lot of skydivers around that were there when I made my first jump. So they would recollect the stories. So I don't know it, it, what memories are mine or their stories became my stories. So I don't really have any moments that I embrace, but we have pictures and video and things like that. So, so that, so that's heaven. But I remember making my first solo jumps because my first ones were tandem with my dad. That my first solo jump, I was 16 years old and my dad was a very well-known skydiver. And I was grabbing to the edge of the airplane as if I were going to get sucked out <laughs> in the yeah. movies. And I totally know that's not true, but I couldn't help it. It was just okay. a very instinct, right? Like, I'm holding yeah. on for dear life. My and God. my mantra was, I don't have to do this because my dad does this. Mm. I said that to myself hundreds of times. Right. But there was something so undescribable. When I let go of the airplane, everything felt right. Mm. I why? Uh, the, the air was just natural for me to feel on my body. I held myself very poised and balanced in the sky. Well, my dad was incredibly impressed, but I had a different experience than other people, right? I grew up watching the sport. I tried the indoor skydiving a little bit when I was a kid. So I had some familiarity of the culture, the action, but there's nothing like actually doing mm. skydiving other than skydiving itself. Wow. And being under the parachute was just, I could not help, but I was so, woo! <laughs> <laughs> down. When I landed, I said, let's go again. Mm. And we win again. And I held onto the airplane white knuckling it going oh my gosh why did I say I wanted to do this again something just kept me wanting to go back but I had this this war with myself right I was like yes I want to but oh my gosh that's a huge emotional commitment because you put everything on the line when you're jumping out of a plane so so it took me actually a long time to fall in love with skydiving. It probably wasn't until I was about 19 or 20 that I realized that this is what I wanted to do with my with my life and make it a career. 
What lessons can we learn from you with skydiving, I'm thinking here, that can help mm -hmm. with that experience of letting go? I think letting go is such a beautiful metaphor for our sport because every time we go skydive, we have to let go of that airplane. So we make this mental commitment. We make this silent agreement with ourselves that this is what we are doing, that we can see other people doing it. So we have these tangible things going, okay, we have this equipment and it's been tested and there's statistics, right? We have this analytical dialogue with ourselves that we're trying to map out this very not normal thing that goes against everything the human race has ever worked towards. And we <laughs> yes, are right. going against it, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's the same for me in my personal life. I've been through different phases of trauma in my life where my, my father was an international drug smuggler and ended up in federal prison for five years of his life when I was just a young girl and trying to to wrap my head around how, how do I get through this? How, how do I process these emotions? And, and skydiving has always been there for me, whether it's the actual act of skydiving where I can be truly in the moment or the community of skydivers that help build me up and support me and push me out of the nest and make me have to grow and challenge myself that We get to these moments of life where we have to let go of what we think is normal. Because I think with social media, the television, and all these other outlets and magazines that kind of paint these pictures of what we are to be and what we look like. And then when we're not that, which was never me, I never fit in any stereotype ever. So I always felt like such an outcast. But We have to let go, right? We have to we have to open the doors, the windows of our soul to let in whatever light is meant to for the path that we are to walk. So we have this metaphor of these life lessons that come to us and there's nothing more than the act of letting go than letting go of an airplane and at 13,000 feet in the sky and trusting you have trust the process, right? We did this whole mapping out of, okay, we understand the equipment. We have the statistics. We did the training, right? We, we did all the thing. We watched everyone's got it. We know it's got to work, but now we have to trust the work, right? So we have all these spiritual gurus before us that are telling us the ways that are paving the path and, and okay, we have to let go, but now we have to trust the process. We have to trust these people that are guiding us to get to the place that we are meant to go. Do you have any spiritual views or belief systems, ideas? You know, again, I think if you asked me that question 20 years ago, it would have been very different than 10 years ago and five years ago. I feel like it's, it's an evolution of ideas because, you know, we grow up with ideas of religion and all these surface level ideas of spirituality, but it isn't until, well, for me, it wasn't until I had my own experiences that I was able to, the way I wanted to define my spirituality was to not define my spirituality mm, because I yeah. found that every moment that I would try to describe it, I would outgrow it and it no longer fit me. 
And I was like, well, I'm not that anymore. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's, it's just this, it's an evolution of, of who we are, where we want to go, what we want to be. And I think also it ties along that entrepreneurial spirit is that I don't want to be boxed in. I want to have the freedom to change my mind and not be the thing that, you know, I have a hard time identifying as a skydiver. I have a hard time identifying as a yogi because I, I do those things. I think those are just the act of life. But inside is this, you know, I love the visual of the lotus flower, right? It's it's the birth and, you know, this beautiful thing and then it dies and then it comes back and it's this beautiful thing. It's just the the, the cycle. And I'm like, Ooh, I like, I like that. You know, if that were to be a metaphor in my spirituality, it, it would be a lotus flower for sure. Yeah. Now I know your yoga teacher. That makes sense. <laughs> Those, uh, it's incredibly powerful, the teachings of yoga. So that makes so much sense the way you speak. And it's beautiful. Thank you so much for being open to life, Melissa. In so many ways, in a scary way too, <laughs> jumping yeah, out of plane. <laughs> what do you feel is the purpose of the human experience? Ooh, wow. I feel like these are million dollar questions that you're asking, right? I feel, I, I'm not sure. You know, it's, it's interesting that you ask that because I am a mother. I became a mother later in life and my son is just seven years old and to see him and answer his questions of why are we here? And it makes you think, right? I'm going, well, why am I here? Well, my parents didn't plan me, but we planned you. Well, well, long, long time ago, we needed children to help on the farms, but we don't need to do that now. Right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and then we have the, the whole, like, we want to have the human race survive. And I'm going, well, why do we need to survive? <laughs> so, I don't even know if I, I have an answer. I, I think that's such a fascinating question to continue to ponder on. Talk to me for a moment about the two books, Sugar Alpha and Charlie Bravo. I'd love to hear more about these books. Yes. So they are books. They are the tell-all books of my father. He's passed away uh, in 2003. And he was a pioneering drug smuggler and skydiver back in the day when skydiving was very much outcast of a sport and drugs were incredibly illegal back then. I love how things are starting to change where yeah. these, these books kind of mark a little bit of our history in society as well, but also the history of skydiving because my dad was an integral part of creating world records and uh, pioneering techniques, training and technology that are still today industry standards. So my dad wrote these books when he was in prison and he was a terrible writer. So uh, when he passed away, I just thought it would be such a great way to honor him and remember him by publishing the books. And it took me 10 years, five years for one book, five years for the next book, because it was such an emotional undertaking because I was still a young child when he was having this clandestine life and I didn't understand as a child why he chose the things that he did. So, you know, talk about trauma and digging up and unearthing these things that you experience as a child and trying to sort that out as an adult was very challenging. However, I think I did a pretty darn good job of being able to tell his story and 
I think within the first 30 days, it was the number one book on Amazon. It was the top selling book on Amazon, which I was really excited about. So Sugar Elf is the first part of the story and Charlie Bravo is the second part of the story. That's wonderful to know. I'll have the links on your podcast profile, the Amazon links too. Um, I have another question about the role of women in modern skydiving. I would love to hear more about that too, because I know it's a sport that is dominated by men. Mm -hmm. So I was recently reelected as the United States Parachute Association National Director, and I have insight to statistics for the demographics of who goes skydiving, who's continuing to skydiving, to continue to skydive, etc. And I've also been a female ambassador for our sport, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly. I just, it, it's interesting for me because I grew up in the sport of skydiving. I never really found myself, I never felt excluded. I never not felt like one of the guys. I never felt like it was a male-saturated sport. I never felt, I just charged. I just charged. And, you know, if I wasn't getting the accomplishments that I wanted, I just tried harder and I went back and just trained my butt off really to get to the places that I wanted to go. It wasn't until later in life that I really realized how much, I mean, how there are so few women. And so about a decade ago, I started asking the question, you know, here I am, I dedicated my life to female women empowerment in the sport and helped co-create uh, women's world records in the sport and other events. I, we had an all women's team that competed at nationals where we did, we did so many things, but the number of women remained 13% of the 30 to 40,000 members we've had for over 20 years. So now we're looking at the hard questions such as the culture of our sport and other things because there's been other entities that have come into the sport like the Women's Skydiving Network. I'm also part of the Highlight Pro Skydiving team which there are 13 of us women. We're all professional and have earned in our own right. Two of my teammates have been inducted into the Skydiving Hall of Fame. So we we are a huge influence, I believe, in the sport, in and outside of skydiving. And so we're taking a, a big look at women in skydiving and how and why is there such a high turnover? You know, you can look at things, you know, women have different priorities. Maybe they don't get paid as much as men. Maybe they have the different role as the primary caregiver. So they have to give up certain things and certain roles in their sport. So, you know, we don't have all the answers right now, but we're we're starting to have the conversations and it's not been easy for our sport because it has some residuals of that old school mentality of, you know, rah, rah, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> military macho kind of attitude. And, and we have a whole new generation of skydivers coming into the sport and they're like, no, that's that's not us. That's not what we want. And I agree with them. I absolutely agree. I think there's space for everyone in this sport. It is generally inclusive for sure. However, there's something going on. Like why, you know, we look at other uh, sports, um, you know, let's say scuba diving or aviation, and there's more women, you know, percentage of women in their memberships than ours. So 
Yeah, we're, we're looking at these questions and, and my goal is to ensure that there is inclusivity and we're looking at these questions and seeing if there's a way that we can address it to encourage more female participation in the sport. That sounds wonderful to me. Please let me know when you get closer to those findings. I would love to know. Yeah, absolutely. To get the information. Just out of curiosity, I think I read somewhere that skydiving inventor was a woman. Is that true, Melissa? Yeah, you know, there there's such conflicting information on who started it. So there, there's, I think they, there's a claim that there was a gentleman in France that jumped out of a balloon back then. But, you know, it's, it's one of those technicalities, you know, they were testing jumping off of buildings, which technically is a different sport. It's base jumping. But is these, there's like threads of this in our history that, you know, humans wanted to fly for a really long time. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's murky because history is not documented that well in that era. I love the message again of letting go and being the moment in trust, how they come together, they are connected and how we can apply this in life, in every aspect of life. Um, mm -hmm. as a foundation. So it's a, such a powerful message. Thank you, Melissa, for being the messenger, not just the messenger. Actually, you have become the messenger yourself, <laughs> jumping out of plane. That's really the message. Yeah, you're not mm -hmm. the messenger anymore. Um, <laughs> gosh, I cannot even conceive that idea. It amazes me. And one of the things that comes to mind is the fear of fear, because I remember having that experience of being afraid to be afraid in the first place. It was mm -hmm. terrifying. Mm -hmm. If there is one message, or perhaps more than one, what is your message for those who are dealing with fear, extreme fear? How do we learn to overcome them in a way, if possible? Yeah, I think everybody is different. And I don't think there is one way. Like the theme a little bit uh, that we've been talking about is once we define something, it changes and evolves, right? And I think that we that we just need to trust ourselves. I think we're in an information world now where we have access to everything. We can Google anything and find the answer, but it's not always the answer for you, right? And I think I think we forget that we're intuitive human beings. We've been around, we have survived some crazy things. E even before our grandfathers and grandmothers, right? And uh, I, I think that we have an incredible intuition and it's been drowned out over over the centuries and that we need to get back to trusting ourselves and, and honor, honoring that. Because if, if we try, for me, defining the ways never worked, trying to fit in the molds of others never worked. But just trying the experiences of what other people have done suggested. You know, I love reading books. I love podcasts. I love listening to other people. I love uh, getting out of my comfort zone and going to conferences and, and whatever it takes to get myself around like-minded people, going to skydiving events, right, doing, doing all the things. And, and sometimes I feel lost and I don't know where to go or, and I don't know who to be. But just being in those moments is really looking back all I needed. That's it. Yeah, isn't it? It sounds very simple to me and very intuitive, right? To trust oneself, ourselves. But it's um, the, the distractions. Yeah, there perhaps are too many. And it might be also the society we live, the structures 
that we operate from, Mm -hmm. they keep us limited in so many ways, if Mm -hmm. we're not aware, right? And if we're not willing to take a chance in practice. I love this message to Melisa. It just keeps coming back about trust is a big one. It's a big, big one. And also, when I think about letting go, it's that sense of control, isn't it? That we feel that mm-hmm. we can control everything. <laughs> Although mm-hmm. that, in a way, kind of contradicts the idea of trusting ourselves. Because mm-hmm. then there is trust, but it's not control, right? Trust and control, it's a different aspect of living. How can we kind of come from that space of trust without trying to control <laughs> everything? That, that's another million-dollar question. <laughs> yeah, that just came to me. <laughs> I, I feel for myself, it's a accumulation of experience that got me to a place where I can trust myself, I can trust others, because I've practiced it over and over and over again. And a, a great example of that is I recently got a whole new setup for skydiving. So I got a new parachute container, new main parachute, new reserve parachute, etc. And everything was brand new all at once. And I know through experience working with master parachute riggers that they are going to put my equipment together properly. And I go back to my training as I know I know what I have to do if I experience a malfunction. And I review that. I have a mental framework that I work visualizing these scenarios. No, I don't want it to happen. No, I don't. You know, it's another thing. You know, we try to visualize what we want. Sometimes you have to visualize what you don't want because it's like not being in control. Like I know a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to visualize and become a millionaire. And some people do. I've been trying to visualize that for a really long time and it's not happening. So I realized realize how to not be a millionaire right like yes i gotta find ways in between here so i do the same thing scott having no i don't want the things to happen but i have to be prepared if something does happen that's out of my control so so it's the whole trust because i i've developed the experiences I've, i've created these experiences one on top of the other to know that i can trust myself and then i can trust other people to to not feel I'm not in control, but I'll do what I can to make things awesome. What three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? I would say try a sport that is not a traditional sport. And I would say snowboarding, skiing, surfing, paragliding, parasailing, something. doesn't have to be skydiving. Try a non-traditional sport. I would say the other is to travel to countries, multiple countries, not just one, because I think traveling also gives you the experience, gives you insights because things are just done differently. And I love all the different cultures because in my travels, I've been able to embrace different things that helped the outlook of my life and helps me go through certain things. And I love history and I'm a little nerd when it comes to architecture and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's all these, these places and where we came from is, is humans and how we evolved. It's just so fascinating to me. And, and the third one is to love, whether that's just loving yourself, loving your family, 
or loving a partner. That's a wonderful, timeless experience, message to pass on, to mm. feel loved. Right? I hear that over and over and over again. So true. Even if it is self-love, right, Melissa? It doesn't have to be yep. or divine love. Mm. Thank you so much again for your presence here today. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Everything is on my website. You can find my social social channels and everything that I'm up to on my website, melissa-low.com. Wonderful. I'll have the link on your podcast profile too. Thank you again, and we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Bye for now, Melissa. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Melissa Lowe and her work, please visit melissa-lowe.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.